The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I would like you to turn with me in the Word of God tonight to the, the book of Psalms, Psalm 135. Psalm 135. This psalm calls us to praise the Lord 11 times. The name the Lord is found 19 times. And in respect of His Lordship, the word He, His, and Him is found 10 times. Let us hear the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, you servants of the Lord, who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to His name, for that is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be His own, Israel to be His treasured possession. I know that the Lord is great, that our God is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and in all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain. He brings out the wind from His storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of men and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sion, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan and all the kings of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, through all generations. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, praise the Lord. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. O house of Levi, praise the Lord. Ye who fear him, praise the Lord. 
Praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. O Lord, may the meditations of our mouths, the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you this night as we look to your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. I find it strange and yet interesting at the same time that the last few verses of this hymn is sort of a triad. There are many triads in Scripture. Maybe that's not the word that I'm thinking of, but think of some of them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Isaiah, we read, holy, holy, holy. Paul, three times, asked the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh. Three times, Peter denied the Lord. And three times the Lord corrected him by saying, Simon, son of Jonah, do you lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. In Revelation, in two places, we read the one who is, who was, and is to come. We read in Luke chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit descended and the voice of the Father came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. We sing often, we pray often, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Paul concluded his ministry by saying, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I think these things speak of the way our triune God wants to communicate to us. There are a few things I want to share with you tonight about praising the Lord. It's a three-point message. The first point is praise the Lord. The second point is praise the Lord. Ah, somebody's anticipating. And the third point is praise the Lord. How can we do that? We should first of all praise him for his possession plan. You know, it says in verse 4, For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own to be his treasured possession. We can thank the Lord that he has a purpose and a plan and a possession. His plan and his prayer for us in possessing us is to bless us. Sometimes when we get together, we'll say, you know, Lord, pray you would bless. And the words come out, this church. I like to say in I train myself to say, Lord, bless our church. When I say bless this church, it sort of removes me from the church. But when I'm praying bless our church, I'm included and asking the blessing of God on all of us because he is the one who owns us and he possesses us. You notice in this text, as we are called several times to praise the Lord, we're told to praise him in the courts, in the house of our God. The Presbyterian system is an excellent system, and sometimes we have had to, as Presbyteries, sit down and prayerfully guide and pray over and cry over brothers who, in one way or another, may have tripped in their ministry. It is a never pleasant time, but it is a necessary time to correct even the ministers of God, 
that we would follow him, that we would not presume upon his grace, that we would not be filled with pride, that we would be humbled under our mighty God to serve him. It's a blessing to have that discipline. It's God's care for us. I remember many years ago, the couple is now with the Lord in glory. My wife and I sat down in their house one day, and they were in their 60s, and they related a very sad occurrence in their life. Early on in their marriage, one of the spouse, one partner in the marriage, spent a night in wicked adultery. And very shortly thereafter, the spouse did the same thing to spite the husband. And you know, they lived for a few weeks and they just broke down in horror at what they had done. God took that mark of their life and made them a couple that would live for Jesus, that would strive. The enthusiasm was there in their lives. They regretted the immaturity of their walk in their early Christian life. Not sure all the circumstances. I can't remember that. But I was certainly surprised when I saw them and I saw the effect of their life that they had even had such an experience. But the experience was such that it was in the courts of the Lord and the discipline of God came down on them where they needed it. They were turned back by the goodness of the Lord. Notice the scripture says in verse 3, Praise the Lord, for he is good. His correction is good. We read how wonderfully he corrects us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. This is the covenant contract that God has put on his possession people. This is his plan. We could say it in this way. This covenant contract is such that when we come to God, God saves us. He reaches us and we come to God and we say, Lord, we are your treasured possession. We are your own. Reminds me of Paul who said in Corinthians, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your living. Well, one of the problems that we all have is we presume upon the grace of God. Notice the last two verses, three verses of the psalm. O house of Israel, praise the Lord. Now, why does God say three times to this body of people to praise him? Well, let me illustrate it. Maybe this isn't what works, but it works for me. I had to tell my little four-year-old granddaughter to pick up the toys one day when she was with us during their missionary assignment. And I said, Ariel, pick up the toys. She continued on playing with the toys. It never entered her mind that I had said that. The second time I said, Ariel, pick up the toys. And her head dropped up and she knew I said her name, Ariel. But it didn't register what she was to do just yet. And finally, the third time, I said, Ariel, please pick up those toys. Okay, Grandpa, I'll pick it up. It's pretty easy to get involved in the struggles and cares of life that we neglect what God has called us to do and to be happy Christians serving him, happy in the sense of joy in the Lord. Let the joy of the Lord be our strength. That's what I think God is telling us. In worship, we hear God's word which points us to the rich storehouse. You read that word in this possession here. The house of our God, we read about his storehouses. 
in the wind, but God's storehouses kept his people throughout all ages, particularly Joseph, who was used by God to break forth a blessing not only to God's people, but to all the world. And like Joseph, when we worship, we hear God's word, which points us to his rich resources. It's important to remember when we consider the very Psalms, we're talking Jesus. Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus. He finally got through to those two disciples by saying, let's look into the Scripture. How often have you neglected the Scripture? Listen, boys, those Scriptures speak of me. And this psalm tonight is replete with why we should praise the Lord. We should praise Jesus because he has made us, us like Jacob, sinners like Jacob, his precious possession. Praise him for his possession plan. Well, secondly, we should praise him for his power plan, what power indeed it is. Did you read the majesty of God, of how he controls all things, that he does whatever pleases him in the heavens and in the earth and in the seas? Yesterday I read with some amusement uh, an article on the last page of our Lancaster paper. It was by the uh, astronomical uh, professor at a nearby university, and he was talking about finding our place in this vast universe. And he was expressing how tinsy-wincy little the very planet Earth is compared to the vastness of the universe. They wanted to describe distances and light years and so forth and how long it would take to get to the nearest star and how long it would take to get out of our galaxy, the Milky Way, etc., etc. And it was a very interesting article. I appreciated his numbers, but I thought, how sad that he can't see beyond the immediate. He's infected by sight. And, and that's always the problem with those who don't see the creator of it all. How vast and great and mighty and powerful is the creator who can make a universe as vast and powerful and explosive as it is, so distant that we don't know how far it is out there, and yet so close to see we watch a mouse or a little ant on the ground and marvel at the way God gives them creativity and uses them for his glory. How sad that this is the case. But God's people can understand the power of his majesty. We're receiving a lot of news reports right now about the Katrina hurricane that hit our country about five years ago. Indeed, it was devastating. It's hard. It is God, however, who controls those winds and hurricanes. We read recently about the devastation, and this doesn't mean to make light or minimize the seriousness of those suffering in Pakistan and other places, floods that have been more, more devastating than any other time in their history has wiped away thousands of lives and destroyed millions of crops and property. They're in devastation. Just a couple years ago, my mother-in-law had a tornado go down across her property and across a lake nearby and tear up a house, killed a lady in the house. And my mother-in-law lost a lot of good wood property, trees that would have been good for profit, that could have been cut down and used. Much of it was lost. Sometimes these natural disasters, which are caused by the hand of our God, bring inconvenience, but nonetheless, 
it's good to be on the knowledgeable side that these come from God because he is powerful. Sihon and Og were warned by God's people and could have had the privilege of letting God's people go through them. However, their stubbornness and their willfulness, which was based upon their desire to worship pagan gods and in turn infect God's people, were brought to judgment. You cannot violate God's will. The wicked plans of evil men will be defeated. You know, sometimes in our walk we wonder, why do we get scuffed? About a week and a half ago, after finishing serving the Lord on behalf of Westminster Church, I left the building, got on Oregon Pike 222 North, and as I pulled out at about 50 miles an hour, just ahead of me, when I merged into the lane, was one of these big cement trucks. Maybe it was from over here. But as soon as I got behind him, he hit a huge bump. And the trough that he had at the back of his truck dropped all kinds of cloudy cement and sand and stones. And my windshield looked like it got sandblasted. And I'm trying to drive behind this thing. And, uh, you know, I was really happy about it. I was so happy I speeded up behind him, got beside him, passed in front of him, and thought I'd stop right there and make him slow down. But then I changed my mind a little bit. We get scuffed in life sometimes. Difficulties come our way. And that's just such a little thing. But it's a blessing to know that God is in charge of not only the destruction and the punishment of the wicked, but he disciplines his own people. They may realize what we are and our schedules and our plans don't always work out the way we think they should, but they will always work out the way God ordains it to be done. Praise him for his power plan. It always works. My dear brother here played the piano tonight. Jim and I have had a lot of good conversations over the years. And uh, uh, in fact, I remember one time telling him I disagreed with him on the premillennial position. And he was very gracious with me, and since then I've come over to his position. But uh, Jim and I have conversation about uh, our kids and our grandkids. He had told me that he has prayed for his family before they were even born. And I believe he said his father and mother prayed for him and, and goes back in generations. And he's praying that God will continue to bless that family, with his covenant of grace and mercy, that all those boys and girls that are born might come to know God. How important that is. About a month ago, I had the privilege of baptizing four of our little grandchildren, three babies and one year-and-a-half-year-old. It was a joy to take them in our arms and ask the Lord his prayer upon them and baptize them Children of the covenant in the name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What powerful trinity can impact on their life? Oh, how much we must pray for our children and exemplify Christ in our walk and deportment that they will follow him. Oh, what a wonderful power plan God has. From the very, very weak in the church, what could be weaker than a baby? Has he a plan that they may come and know him? Indeed, the Bible says, out of the mouths of babes, he has ordained praise. We praise God for being his precious 
possession, his plan of possession. What he owns, he takes care of. He maintenances us. He uses us. He takes care of us and guides us. We should praise him, and we do praise him for his power. The power in our life. I want to tell you, when Dr. Light, or Pastor Rogers, or Pastor DeBrun, or Pastor York, tell you the Word of God with brokenness and humility, or counsel you about walking with the Lord, you should not, nor should I, ever question God's wisdom from His Word. And nor should we ever take exception or think in proudness that we can take care of ourselves or dabble into any sin or tread lightly where we should tread boldly in the name of Christ. God help us to walk in his power. He will enable us and he will use the word of God to guide us. May he help us. Praise him for his power plan. But finally tonight, we should praise the Lord for his permanent plan. I always liked to buy life insurance when I was younger, you know, they'd talk about plans that were permanent. They're not as permanent as you think, and there's more money needed as it goes on down the road. But God has a permanent plan, a forever plan for his people. Did you see in the last few verses, your name, verse 13, and yours forever. Your renown, O Lord, through all generations. You know, when the person of Israel sat in the courts of God, were they apprehending that what they were doing would impact their life forever and ever? They seem so distant to us to think back 3,000 years ago, those who sat in the temple in Jerusalem, those who praised him. The sad truth is many praised him, but many, many more just took it so for granted. It was so easy to disregard because God so blessed them. And the next thing you know, they're worshiping other gods and they're living in a lifestyle that reflected the worldly lifestyle that has always been with us. I was reading a year ago a book by Dr. Greg Beale. I'm not sure if the title's right. It's something like Becoming Like What We Worship. I think that's close to it. It was a great book. It's hard to put it down. I was on my study leave. The, the big point of this book is this. It's, it's what we read in these verses. Uh, Pastor York talked about it in Psalm 115 just a couple weeks ago. In fact, the verses, verse 15 through 18, are almost exactly alike. Apparently, some of the inspired writers of Scripture would draw from one another and see the impact of how important it is to hear that again. How many times have you heard pastors say, I heard that before. Did it get you over completely the sin or the struggle you're working with? You see the necessity of continuing, coming back to the Lord, continuing to hear the word, to find the Lord exalted in our lives. Whether stepping down to what men make or structuring our lives around our own desires, our own dress, our own designs, our own determinations without God, whether doing that or doing God's will is the real question. Our lives center around a God that we cannot see. That is the dilemma of this age and every age, because God cannot be seen with the exception 
of that one time when he incarnated and walked among us. And the Bible says that they beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And even while he was there, yet some and most, when he walked among them, it says he came unto his own, and his own recognized him not. But God is there. He cannot step beneath himself and show him other than what he did in Jesus. He cannot do, as I saw in London a few years ago, walking into a Hindu temple and observing the infusing of the idols in this huge building and the, the, uh, the priests and those who infuse these idols and bring awe on all the so-called parishioners. God can't step down to disclose himself in such trivial ways. There's always the problem of, show me. Well, we do have this. The Word of God is there. And it says in verse 15 that the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. There is a day coming when the Lord will show himself forever. We who have uh, followed him, not having seen him, just think about it for a moment. There's only a, a generation or two that ever saw the Lord out of all the generations of mankind. And praise the Lord, he gifted those men through the Holy Spirit to give the Bible to us, that they would account what they saw, whom they spoke to, what he did, how he rose again, and how he changed their lives. But that's only one or two generations. The rest of us have never seen him. And will not until he raises our bodies from the dead. And so here's the challenge. There is a permanent plan, a forever plan for God's people. Will we praise him? Will we breathe praise with our mouths? Will we breathe praise with our ears as we hear his word? Will we breathe praise as we taste and see how good he is? Will we breathe praise with our hands? Well, you, of course, know the answer. We do, and we will. But we continue this without seeing him. Notice the last verse. Praise be to the Lord from Zion. Praise to him who dwells in Jerusalem. This is an allusion to a verse I want you to turn to in a moment. If you lived in Israel in the days of the psalmists, when the temple was completed, to see the glory and majesty of God in Solomon's temple, nothing like it. Oh, that we could see what it was like today. We have the descriptions of its building, but you can talk about an airplane, but when you see a jumbo jet, it really takes your breath away. To see that temple on Mount Zion where God dwelt, took the breath away of those worshipers. They spent days and days praising him. They were so thankful that God was there. But they transitioned by looking at some object 
and failed to see that that was expressive of the greater object, our Lord God himself. And they were punished for it. But nonetheless, there was praise in that day. And there should be praise today, just in our lives. And here's why. We have lived all our life not seeing God, and yet we believe him. We believe him because just what he said to Thomas applies to us. Thomas had to see the Lord, but Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. I'm a believing person, and if you love Jesus, you are too. All of your life and all the direction of my life, really everything that has to do with the Jesus that we have never seen, a people that have been changed by him, but nonetheless, we're, we look so foolish to this world because if there really is a God, he's got to show himself, doesn't he? And yet, praise to the Lord. He doesn't have to do that to us. And the opposite of this is this. But first turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I just want to read several verses in Hebrews 12. I preached from this message, this portion of Hebrews, when uh, our dear sister Mary went to be with the Lord. I believe it was in January. In the verse 18 of Hebrews 12, the writer says, You have not come to a mountain like Mount Sinai. It was burning and fiery and trumpet blast. Those who heard God speaking beg no further word be spoken. And even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, in Presbyterian circles, they have this expression, the already and the not yet. For all of us who are sitting here, this is not yet. But for those who have gone to be with Jesus in this last year even, this is already. Let's look at the already, okay? Now please read. Verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Those are the two key words at the end of Psalm 135. Jerusalem? Yes. Mount Zion? Yes the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Wow! You have come to God, the judge of all men. And notice this expression, to the Spirit's of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. Now that sounds pretty alive and present in my reading. Does it to you? Contrast that with this, with those who all their life have been idolaters, thinking what they see is God. Thinking what they touch is God. Thinking what they hear is God. Thinking what they smell is their God. And now all that all has been a lie is now completely flipped. 
And they who have died have nothing to see, nothing to touch, nothing to hear, no one to converse to, only to live in their misery and sorrow for the neglect of their soul by their worshiping dumb idols. Did not the psalmist say those who make them will be like them? But on the other hand, those who all their life were mocked at and laughed at because there was no God to be seen, some who suffered martyrdom because there was no God in visible sight, all those who all their life had followed a God who only they had one resource to, and that was the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who brought them to faith. That which they live and we live our whole life, which may be a mockery, now comes to pass at the moment of our death. What seems to be a tragic loss is the greatest gain, as Dr. Rogers said a few weeks ago. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But for the unbeliever, to die is loss and no gain. I want to tell you, when I read in Hebrews 12, that we have come to the place of the spirits of righteous men made perfect. That sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Because you know what? As good as we might be, or as bad as we might be, we're not perfect. We aren't there yet. That's why we wrestle. That's why it grieves us. That's why it hurts us when we sin. One day, we will be made perfect. And we are going to be where all those righteous men and women are perfected. That will be a great day. Those who all their life really couldn't see God are there with God. And they're in the joyful assembly of angels. Can you imagine the scenario here? It's almost beyond our comprehension. And as we pass through those gates, there are our names written. It's said that John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, when he read these verses, said, when he said, you have come to Mount Zion, he said, no, that's not enough. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. No, you've come to joyful angels. No, that's not enough. You've come where the spirits of righteous men have been made perfect. No, that's not enough. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of the covenant. Oh, yes, he said, that's enough. Jesus is there. I'm with him, and I'm with all those who love him. Praise the Lord. Amen? His plan, his plan for redemption, his plan for his people is permanent. No variables, no shadow of turning. It is there, and there's something better yet to come. The problem is, even now in glory, our brothers and sisters, like our dear brother Jim Hubert, I love Jim. I love everybody. Well, I try to. I guess I'm not. Charlie Brown said, I love everybody, and then he was tested real quick, wasn't he? (laughs) Well, I love almost everybody. Uh, but uh, I love Jim Huber. Every prayer meeting, every Wednesday night, he prayed for each and every pastor of this church, for every elder and deacon, the membership of Westminster Presbyterian Church. We're going to miss his praying. I hope somebody else picks it up. Our dear sister Barb Shea saw her just days before she died. 
could barely get her eyes open. She knew I was there, and as I often do with those who are sick and dying, I sing hymns, I prayed the scriptures, I read the word of God to her. You know, they're with the Lord right now, but there's a problem. They don't have a body yet. They don't have a body. This is that mysterious time before the great resurrection of the dead. You can read about it in places of Scripture, but here's the difficulty. You and I are with Jesus in the Spirit, righteous men and women made perfect. Jesus is there. How do we know it? We don't have ears to hear, eyes to see, mouths to speak with, hands to touch, and nose to smell. How do we know that we're there with Jesus? Well, I don't know. I'm a dumb theologian, I guess. It seems simple to me. The same Spirit of God that testifies to us now. When we, as a Christian, walk down the road and there is somebody else of the opposite sex that we might be attracted to and we know, this is not for me. Or that same Spirit, when you see the lottery sign saying you can win $100 million just by putting your whatever money it is down and you can be fabulously wealthy, And you and I, you know, we hear that. We see people, we know people that are doing the lotteries, and yet someone in us says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Who is that person that testifies of that? But the Holy Spirit. And so my thinking is this. Now, you can debate me. I don't care. But I think when we die and we're ushered into glory, we're with Jesus The Holy Spirit is nestling us and saying, you're with Jesus. You're with the spirits of righteous men made perfect. You're with the joyful assembly of angels. You can't hear it. You're there, and you're in Zion, God's holy city, the Jerusalem of God. And you are there because God wrote your name down in glory. Isn't that a wonderful truth? How much does God love us? Oh, that we would sing praises with our mouth for his powerful possession of our lives, for his power giving us strength and even showing us that we might be spanked from time to time, and his marvelous plan that puts our name into his eternal kingdom, a kingdom of permanence. Glory be to God. Praise be to his name. Let us say together those three words that begin in this psalm and end with this psalm. Together, praise the Lord. Father, we do. We thank you for saving us, your spirit guiding us. Bless us tonight as we conclude in worshiping your majestic name. For Jesus' sake, amen.